welcome back to I Love That Record. This is episode four. It's a podcast featuring my friend John Beckman and myself, Eric Jorgensen, where we talk about an album that each of us loves. Hi, John. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Eric. How are you tonight? I am fantastic now that I'm talking to you again. Yeah, it's been a while, so I'm glad we're we're rekindling this flame of ours. Oh, it's it's a flame that burns brightly, ever so brightly. After Dozens all these people years, are hanging on this flame, so we better keep it burning. That's brightly right. For <laughs> that is dozens right. of episodes to come, at least a couple. Dozens of episodes for dozens of listeners. Yeah, you got it, man. All right, so our fourth episode. Uh, what's uh, what what album did you choose for us tonight? I have chosen the album that probably was the inspiration for the phrase "sex, drugs, and rock and roll." Wow. And if it wasn't the inspiration, it probably should have been for reasons we will discuss. The album I've yeah. chosen is Rumors by Fleetwood Mac. Rumors by Fleetwood Mac. I think a couple of people have probably heard of that album. Since it sold 45 million copies, <laughs> I think you might be right. Yeah. Well, according to Wikipedia, Rumors is the 11th studio album. Imagine that, 11 studio albums by British-American rock band Fleetwood Mac. It was largely recorded in California during 1976. And, as we were talking about the producers, it was produced by the band with Ken Calais and Richard Deschutes, and it was released on February 4th, 1977. I'm pretty sure that Ken Calais and Richard Deschutes uh, produced Tuba Stinks, The Reason? Many, many years later, but I think in their, yeah, in their old age, they, they came out of the dugout one more time. And Ken Calais, <laughs> Ken Calais is actually the father of Kobe Calais, <laughs> believe it or not. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's a trivia nice... for you. And further, he wrote a fantastic book called Making Rumors. Uh, it's available on Amazon. Uh, I read it. It's amazing, especially as a musician. He gets very in-depth with recording techniques that were used on this album, kind of going through the whole process, the whole story. Very good. If you're interested in music history, uh, it's definitely worth checking out. Ken Calais, Making Rumors. Cool. I'll have to check that out. So I will. I will be very honest with you, because Eric, if there's anyone I want to be honest with, it's my wife and then you. <laughs> Thank you. Now that now that we're podcast partners, uh, you were embarrassed that you had not listened to Brand New from our episode three before uh, I introduced it to you for the podcast. Um, but I'm very embarrassed to say I don't think I had listened to Rumors all the way through before you picked this for the podcast. So it's only one of the greatest albums of all time, according to lots and lots of people. But well, and it is 40 years old, so that is kind of embarrassing. At least brand old. new is only a year and a half old. Yeah, yeah, I don't really have any excuses for that. Well, except it really means that my entire life I've never made you listen to it the whole way through. So actually it's probably Yeah, me. so you were giving me a hard time for a year and a half. So it was, yeah. Really, you've got 32 years of shame errors that yes i need you need to atone for it is it is so true <laughs> and it's you know i forgive you john and i think it's easy to not have heard the whole album because uh, there are lots of songs in this album that have been played on the radio basically since it came out and i think most people know those songs they might not necessarily have listened to the full album and i i think that i need to start by giving a little bit of background on fleetwood mac because it's very important for understanding the context of this album um First off, it is, in my opinion, 
pretty much the pinnacle of the album as an art form in this era because i would say the beatles were the ones who really pioneered it and said okay we're going to make a cohesive set of songs we're going to record them together we're going to make this thing say something they did that in the late 60s mid to late 60s this album released in 77 was really the apotheosis of that i think um it was this group of people thrown together in the studio multiple studios but really it was mostly the record plant in sausalito california in isolation um kind of doing lots and lots of drugs, lots and lots of cocaine, <laughs> as detailed in various accounts, including Ken Calais' book that I mentioned. And they made this product that sold a, a crap ton of records and is, like you said, one of the best rock albums of all time, I would say. But the band was not always this style of band. Originally, it started as a British blues rock band, and the only members that I think were consistent were the bass player John McVie and the drummer Mick Fleetwood, for the most part. Hence the name Fleetwood Mac. McVie Mac, right? I, I got it, yeah. You got it. So at one point, then John's then wife, Christine McVie, joined the band. So it was the three of them plus uh, a various uh, assortment of guitar players. But then finally, in the mid-70s, Lindsey Buckingham, who was a man, guitar player, and his then-girlfriend, uh, Stevie Nicks, were asked to join the band. By sheer coincidence, they were in the studio doing their own thing, and Mick Fleetwood had, had heard them and thought, oh, they'd be great. And I think he wanted Lindsay, but then Lindsay said, I'm not coming if you don't take Stevie. Remember, Lindsay's the man, Stevie's the woman. And so they joined the band, and it forever changed the sound of Fleetwood Mac and defined them as they are perceived today, which is three songwriters, Lindsay Buckingham, Stevie Nicks, and Christine McVie, all three writing songs and contributing and all three singing their own songs and just this great interplay of harmonies and instrumentation and the, basically the sound that you hear in rumors, which was really first introduced in the, the previous album, which was a self-titled album. I think it was released in 75 or 76, which has some great songs on it too, including Landslide by Stevie Nicks and Rhiannon also by Stevie Nicks. But then this album is really, in my opinion, where it all comes together. But while it's still all coming together, the whole thing is blowing apart because you had two breakups happening in the band. Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham broke up, and then Christine and John McVie had gotten divorced. <laughs> so you have a band of five people, four of whom were romantically involved, uh, and they broke up. So <laughs> you end up with lots of breakup songs. Uh, by my count, one, two, three, four of the songs on the album are about breaking up with each other and disliking each other. <laughs> And as I mentioned earlier, there was lots and lots and lots of cocaine involved in the recording of this album. <laughs> no joke. So it's it's such an interesting combination of factors and influences. And I think that really comes out in the songs and the album and the way that it it just comes across. And it's it's I think something I said previously and on this podcast, some of the best art comes out of turmoil. And I think that Rumors is a great example of that. So that's kind of my intro spiel. I had to get it out there because I know a lot of people today might not know the story of Fleetwood Mac, but there it is. It's messy. It's crazy. Um, but this is them at their best before the the paranoia of excessive drug use really took over and kind of ruined the bands and their relationships for a while. So there you have it. Yeah, it's it's almost crazy that it wasn't it wasn't too much drama at that point. Somehow like they managed said, to, it, to do like it. The turmoil and drama leads to good songs a lot of times from from songwriters but yeah it's crazy that they were able to actually keep the band together through all of that and they sort of just they sort of just fed off of their 
hatred for each other. <laughs> they way, did. And I know? think as I understand it, often the members of the band didn't realize that the others were writing songs about them necessarily at the time. I know that um, one of the songs in particular, when uh, Lindsey Buckingham was doing a demo version of it, he didn't actually sing the words. He mumbled so that Stevie <laughs> Nicks didn't realize that well, he was singing like about her, uh, which I think is is hilarious in retrospect. So that's uh, that's kind of the overview. Well, I was doing some some research for the uh, not to the degree that you know it, obviously, or have read the book, but in uh, just looking at some of the uh, track by track reviews, there was one I forget the I forget what song it was, but um, here we go. You make love and fun. Yes. So during recording, McVie told, and this is Christine Jonathan, McVie, by the way, who is the female uh, keyboardist and yeah. one of the songwriters in, in Fleetwood so, Mac. McVie had told husband John that the lyrics referred to her dog, only later revealing to him that they were written about an affair she had during their relationship breakdown. So <laughs> it's <laughs> you have so the messed up. And then you have the, oh no, this song's about my dog. It's not about me cheating on you, which I don't know how that kind of, how, I don't know how you can get away with that, but I, you got anyway. me. And, and yeah. it's it's such a fun contrast to the way that music is made now in the pop area because now you have a song coming in from like maybe a Max Martin or one of his uh, production people writing yeah. the, the origin of the song, whatever, and it gets shopped around and, and somebody like uh, a Taylor Swift maybe clings on to it or, or Britney Spears or whomever and they record it and whatever. It's not these, these two people who were married and who are in the same band and have to be in the same studio together singing songs about each other like it's just it couldn't be more different and i i think it would have been crazy to be a fly on the wall uh during the recording sessions for this because i know that there were lots of, of of conflicts and and different just disagreements about some of these things so yeah yeah so you mentioned the earlier fleetwood and i know we'll focus on rumors but yeah uh did you have have you had you listened to much of fleetwood mac before this album or is this album kind of the first foray for you into i really the, enjoyed the, the self-titled album that i mentioned which was the first album okay. with Stevie oh, yeah, Nicks yeah. and, and okay. Lindsay buckingham that's a great record and then i also really like Lindsay and, and stevie's solo or not solo there they had an album as a duo called buckingham nicks which is really good and actually sounds a lot like what fleetwood mac would become but i'm not a huge fan of the fleetwood mac prior because i'm not really into blues rock really guitar driven which is weird because i play guitar it's just not really my style of music um, I would say, but my dad had some of the records and maybe that's a good transition point. Cause the reason that I got into this album was because my parents each had a copy. <laughs> so we had two copies of this album in our collection because, oh, nice. you know, given that 45 million of them were sold, I don't think that was uncommon. Like it, this was an album that everybody had. You just, you bought it, you had it because it was that popular. And so I think just one day, I don't even remember how old I was. I just threw it on and thought, Oh, I'll, I'll listen to this and check it out. And it uh as a whole album was mind-blowing like it it was like wow okay i get why this was so popular it's it's fantastic so that that's kind of how i got into it yeah so you you talked about the the album kind of construction and the beatles sort of were really good at putting those albums together and fleetwood mac kind of did the same yeah i would say so i mean 10 years later but but definitely it was building off of what the beatles had built as a foundation the beach boys did it too with pet sounds but prior to the mid 60s for people's reference albums weren't really a thing you did singles um and originally you released a single right a a small little 45 and then once the lps became more common 33 and a, a third rpms the bigger things right the records that we know of today 
it, you would just throw a bunch of singles together on them. The Beatles had a bunch of these earlier in their career where they were just a bunch of disparate songs that had nothing to do with each other. We get packaged together by the label and released as an album, but it wasn't really an artistic statement on the part of the artist. So sorry, go ahead. No, that was going to be kind of my question or my, my sort of statement is that it seemed it was more focused on the single or maybe two songs and you'd have the, the B side so it's really pumping out one or two songs um, at a time. But then even, like I said, when the LPs um, came into fashion, it was sort of combining a bunch of those together and it wasn't really a cohesive unit. Definitely. So, Definitely. Uh, yeah, that was, that was going to be my, my, my point. So, um, yeah, great. So do you remember the you, – I mean you must have been pretty young, but do you remember the first sort of listen to Rumors? I gotta believe I was in my teens, I think. Um, okay. cause I think where it came from was I got into the song Landslide when I was, you know, playing guitar as a, a kid. I thought it was a great song. And that is on the previous album that we talked about, self-titled. And I think that that's what just led me to, to rumors. And I, I had heard a few of the songs for sure, like Go Your Own Way and Don't Stop. But I, I, th- I don't remember exactly when, but I know it was probably in my, my early to mid teens, I think, when it really grabbed me. Okay. And do you think, uh, um, do you think this album led you to had any sort of influence over other albums you listened to or other music you, you liked at the time? Definitely. I think that this was probably one of the first discoveries, I'm putting discoveries in quotes, air quotes, discoveries that I had <laughs> from my dad's vinyl collection of albums. And it, it led me to uh, other albums that I may choose in, on this podcast that I will not reveal at this point. But definitely albums from kind of that same era from the 60s to, uh, through the 80s, things that I had just never given a chance uh, as a whole. And then when I did, I was really impressed. So this is this is definitely one of those albums. Great. So, uh, so what, what do you think uh, are some of your favorite songs off the off the albums? Or I definitely have about? I definitely have favorites, and I think that this is maybe the point where we need to decide how many tracks are on this record, because oh yes, this is a very good point. Yes. We've, we've talked about the the issue with Spotify, yes. and we're not sure if it's some sort of licensing with the record labels or what what have you. But if you were to go on Spotify and look for Fleetwood Max Rumors. You would not find the original track listing, which I believe is 12. Uh, no, actually. So this or is why, why we're I, talking about this. It was actually 11. 11. Yes. Okay. So that's not even – okay, so that's a whole other issue. Yes. So let's say 11. We'll get the, we'll go there next, I promise. Yeah, so the first point to make is that if you were to go on Spotify and search for Fleetwood Max Rumors, you would find not only a deluxe edition, which – Eric and I have talked about our hatred for deluxe editions. Yes. You would not only find that, but you would also find a super deluxe, <laughs> which if, I believe has something like 40 tracks on it. Uh, yes. Does that sound right? Yeah, it's like 30 it or 40 tracks on the deluxe and super deluxe. So yes. if you really want to beat someone down with some Fleetwood Mac over and over again, just have them listen to the super deluxe. Yeah. With just alternate versions and versions with vocals. And I can't even, and imagine, even if you love Fleetwood Mac, I can't imagine listening 40 songs straight. There's like a reason that. that these songs got picked and were worked. It's basically yeah. to the bone, right? So that they were as good as possibly could be expected. The other songs did not have that done to them. So, I mean the, the these alternate versions and things. So, 
Yeah, not really, not really interesting to me. But the reason I bring this up is the album was originally going to have 12 tracks and the song Silver Springs was left off because it was too long. And I think this is a topic in of itself because due to space constraints and time constraints, the LP could only take, you know, so much time. And so they had to make hard choices. And so they chose to drop that song. Uh, Stevie Nicks was very upset about that. That was a song that she wrote and sang lead on. And uh, coincidentally, is about uh, Lindsay Buckingham, who she had broken up with. We will talk more about that later, I'm sure. I will consider Silver Springs for the purpose of this podcast as being on this album. So I'm just going to say that. And what's really weird is that on the re-release of this album that was done in like the 2004 or something, they put it right after Songbird. They made it track seven. On the deluxe version on Spotify, it's now track 12. So I... I, I don't know, but I'm just going to say that there are 12 songs on the album, which means that I can pick up to six songs as my favorites. <laughs> that was a lot, really long way of saying that. All we know is that there, there's a whole lot of shenanigans going on. Lots of shenanigans. And I feel bad for Stevie Nicks, uh, that silver Springs got left off, but it was, it's a four minute, 45 seconds or four something. It's a long song. I think. Yeah. Four, yeah. four, something like that. It's a long song got left off, but I, I think it was intended to be on the album. It's got the same quality as the rest of the album. So it counts as far as I'm concerned. So to answer your question, my favorite songs don't stop. This was chosen as Bill Clinton's campaign song in 1992, I believe, <laughs> which is kind of funny. It's a fun, bouncy track. The chorus just sticks with you. It's positive. It's upbeat. Christine McVie is the singer and the songwriter, basically about moving on after the divorce. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. You've totally heard the song before. Um, I, I guarantee it. Probably one of the catchiest songs, most poppy songs on the album, and I love it. So, so I have to ask, did... After he chose that for his campaign, did Fleetwood Mac come out and make him stop using it, as a lot of artists no, do? No, they embraced it and actually performed at the inauguration. Wow, okay. They, they were all about that. it. Yeah, it was actually um, one of their first times playing together in, in a few years because they had oh, been that's, that's cool. on hiatus because they all hated each other. Lots <laughs> of cocaine. We'll do that. They were making millions individually, but yeah, they hated each other. They did. Yeah. So yeah, that that song I just I think is is great. So that's that's my pick number one. These are probably not in the order of my favorite songs because I don't think I could pick the actual order. But these are definitely five favorites. Number two, in no particular order, "Go Your Own Way," which is probably the classic breakup song, written by Lindsey Buckingham about Stevie Nicks, basically saying, "I'm we're done. Just gotta go do your own thing now. Not with me." Um, it's it's a rocking song. It takes a little bit to get going and kind of starts a little bit slower with a little jangly guitar. And then it just hits you with this great chorus that is just instantly memorable. Great harmonies. You can go your And 
I've got to believe it was kind of awkward for Stevie Nicks to have to sing harmonies over this song that was written about her. I would think. You would think so, but they made it work and they were on a lot of drugs, like you said. So yeah, that's who true. knows if she even cared at that point. I she might, she might not have. And the song even included really hurtful lyrics on the part of Lindsay, like, um, what is it? Packing up, shacking up is all you want to do. Basically calling Stevie Nicks a slut. And I think that was pretty hurtful for her. I've got to believe. Um, but you would, you would think so. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be able to do that. And I think she asked him to change it, but he did not and refused to. So yeah. And you know, it works. He just about his song. dog. So right. I don't, I don't think that would have worked for this one. <laughs> After well, the dog yeah, dies, well. you can go. Yeah. yeah, no, I don't. Yeah, anyway, secondhand news is my pick number three. It's the opener to the album, and you know it's consistent in every one of these albums we picked. The openers are really solid every time, and this is one of those. It's a bouncy track. It actually um, has what I would almost call a perpetual musical moment, just when you know the story of it, especially. Part of the backing of the song is actually Lindsey Buckingham banging on a chair and making a percussive sound. Yes, I was going to make that point. That's a that's an awesome bit of trivia. I love that. It's pretty cool. They were trying to get this sound, and he basically said, it's got to be like this, and he just started doing it, and the producer, Ken Calais, said, okay, let's record that. So they put a mic on it and did it, and it's in the finished uh, recording. But it's just, it's a great song. It's another breakup song where he's basically saying, I'm secondhand news now, and he's singing about wanting to get in the tall grass and do his stuff, and I think he's singing about having sex with somebody else who's not Stevie Nicks. Um, and this, I believe, is the song that he mumbled when he originally uh, was demoing it for the rest of the band so that they wouldn't hear what he was singing about. Very interesting. You would think at some point they'd be like, hey, hey, buddy, can you kind of enunciate? We want to hear what the song is actually about. <laughs> or can I see the lyrics written down? I can't understand you. He probably just said, right, I don't have them worked out yet. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I, hate you. I hate you, Stevie. That, prob- that probably would have worked. Yeah, probably. Um, my pick number four is Songbird which is a Christine McVie song. And I, being honest, I don't love her voice. It's kind of throaty and I don't know how I would describe it. It's very, um, I'll contrast it with Stevie Nicks who has a very rock oriented voice. She kind of shreds it with her voice. Um, Mm -hmm. Christine McVie is smoother and I think it's just, it's almost operatic in a way or something. I don't know if I could describe it any better than that. I don't love it usually, but this song is perfect. It is, She's um, a little songbird. Make it work. She, she is. It's appeared uh, in various movies and such. It was actually uh, a cover version of it appeared in Love Actually. There's a very moving scene uh, that when Laura Linney, I believe, is going to um, hook up with her office compatriot, this song is playing. It's um, it's oh, gorgeous. It's got a gorgeous that. melody. It was recorded in an auditorium, like a school auditorium with just Christine McVie uh, playing a grand piano on stage. And then Lindsey Buckingham added, added a little bit of acoustic guitar, but otherwise it's basically just her doing it solo and singing. And um, supposedly her ex-husband, John, the bass player in the band, was moved to tears after he heard it because he just he felt like their relationship was was in that song. And it's it's very touching. It's 
one of the few ballads on the album. And I, I, I love that it's there. It's the middle point. It's kind of a, um, a romantic center to the album. And, and I just, I love the song. I think it's perfect. And then finally, my final pick is Silver Springs. That's why I made such a strong case that it got this part of the album, because it's definitely uh, one of my favorites. This song, as mentioned previously, is Stevie Nicks singing about Lindsey Buckingham and their breakup. And it's it's very much a counterpoint to Go Your Own Way. Go Your Own Way is Lindsey singing to Stevie, and Silver Springs is Stevie singing back to Lindsey, basically saying that she feels like she was a fool and you know it just it didn't work out and it was a huge mess and and all that so it's a great song I would highly recommend that people check out the version that's on the live album, The Dance, which was released and recorded in 1997 when the band got back together. It's an even better, more fully realized and just fully baked version of the song with some amazing uh, musical moments that Stevie adds. And if you watch the live video, watching Stevie just kind of turn over on stage and look at Lindsay as she's singing, was I just a fool? Was I just, it's just that you can just feel the years and years of heartbreak and all this past, even though it was 30 years prior, uh, it just takes the song to a whole new level. And I think that's one of the reasons that I picked it.
That's awesome. I'll check that out. Definitely worth definitely worth looking at. And then I have two honorable mentions. The you chain. like a lot of songs on this album. I, I, I do like a lot of songs on this album. <laughs> uh, the Chain, which okay. is it's kind of a fun rock song that is interesting, especially because it was originally two separate songs that were linked together. There was the beginning part. There's a part in the middle where there's just a little bass riff that's kind of fun. And then it goes to a closing that that doesn't really sound a lot like the beginning of the song. And back in the day, because albums were recorded on magnetic tape, they would actually have to take them and cut the tape with uh, razor blades and then splice it together to do edits like that, which is just crazy to think about. And I wow. just I think it's a great rock song. And then uh, my other honorable mention is Never Going Back Again, which is a uh, Lindsey Buckingham kind of solo piece where he's just playing some guitar and singing. And it just shows off his amazing guitar playing. It's, he's, he's an incredibly gifted guitarist. And that really comes through with the riffs on this song. Some great instrumentals in that song. Yes, for sure. Yeah. So sorry, I've been talking way too much about this, but as you can tell, I really, really like this. No, I like it. I like your energy for the for the album itself, and you know a lot more in this album than I do. So well, I dedicate this energy to Chris Eden, our our friend in Nashville, (laughs) Tennessee. We're trying. We're trying here, Chris. Exactly. So, what about you, John? I know that you hadn't been as experienced with this full album. So I had not. What uh, what do you what do you think about it? Do you have any initial thoughts before you give me your um uh, your picks? Oh, uh, let's see. So my initial thoughts, um, uh, you know, listening through the whole album, I can definitely see why people like it, why it sold forty five million records, and why it's considered one of the one of the better albums ever made. Um, a lot of emotion, a lot of drama uh, involved, a lot of good songwriting. So. Uh, great instrumentals. So uh, it's a really solid album. Um, I had heard quite a bit of it on the radio and I think here and there over the years, but like I said, I don't think I had, I listened to it actually, you know, one through 11 or one through 12, whatever you consider to be the whole album. Uh, I hadn't listened to that all the way through. So, uh, it was definitely a fun experience after you brought it up and, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think I'll be listening to it quite a bit as we go down the line. Well, nice. So what, what did you pick for your favorite songs? My favorite songs, I've got one, two, three, five. So we'll go with five. 
Uh, let's cover secondhand news. We'll cover the ones that you mentioned. I think I only have one that you didn't mention. Okay. Yeah, so secondhand news. Like I said, great intro song, great harmonies, some fun beats, good percussion. And like you said, the the fun bit of trivia with the plastic chair. <laughs> and you mentioned Place. percussion, and I think it's worth saying that Mick Fleetwood, the drummer of the band, is definitely the backbone of the band for a variety of reasons musically for sure but also he's like the he's always been i think the emotional center of the band he's the one who's kind of pushed them forward and kind of pushes them to keep going they still tour to this day i've actually never seen them live i'm not sure i want to see um some people in their 70s playing these songs but they might still be (laughs) awesome i don't know because he's a great drummer he brings a lot of energy out there and he looks like a madman on stage when he's drumming so (laughs) it might almost be a letdown at this point yeah this many years but Maybe just listen to this album over and over again. Or the live albums that you mentioned earlier. Yes. Uh, Second favorite song, we'll go, well, not in any particular order, but uh, we'll go the second. So we went the first song of the album. We'll go the second song of the album, Never Going Back Again, for all the reasons that you mentioned. Some great instrumentals. That is Uh, actually the third song in the album. Oh, Oh, that's right. I did Stick Up Dreams, and I'll get to that. Spoiler alert. Okay. So Never Going Back Again. Never Going Back Again. Uh, The Chain. Love that one. Found myself listening to that one over and over again. Um, it seemed like it was the best group effort song on the album. It might be the only one that they all sing on. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah, it seemed that, like one, at least one of the only ones that they all kind of had a piece. Yeah, I think that's probably that right? that's probably true. I think there's a lot more. Con- yeah, I think that that all three of the lead vocalists uh, share kind of little parts and stuff on that song yeah but yeah really really catchy from the first time i listened to it so i found myself kind of re- replaying that one over and over again it's also the only song that was credited to all the members of the band including yeah, the non right. quote non-songwriters so that's really interesting that you picked up on that uh songbird would be my fourth uh the sappy soul song of the record if <laughs> there course. is one so you have to pick it of course i'm gonna pick it um, I think it was a great bit of trivia that you know it was recorded in an auditorium and all that. I think that's really uh, that's really cool. But uh, so that's four. And then my fifth one would be going back to the second, as you said. Uh, I would say dreams would ah. be my my fifth. Or, well, that's uh, driven by Stevie Nicks, if I am correct. Yes. Uh, some great harmonies and uh, some really catchy drum beats throughout. for a great song and i think um yeah i think that would be my my top five if i had to choose right now well you mentioned catchy drum beats and i think this is where i can give a little bit more trivia um i believe that the song dreams has a loop (laughs) of drumming on it That, 
again was manually created by splicing magnetic tape but it was mick fleetwood doing a certain it's it's from the very beginning of the song when he's just kind of doing a really simple but interesting it's 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 somehow both kind of a hi-hat pattern with the snare um, that is basically a, a really primitive loop that they worked really hard to get sounding right because it gives it that hypnotic quality um, which is interesting because now drum loops are so much more common but back then it really wasn't. You would have to actually, you know, record the whole song correctly, uh, you know, as a drummer and actually do it, do it right all the way through. Um, and for the most part, this album was done that way, but I know the song in particular, they utilized um, a very primitive loop style thing. So, yeah. Cool. So how about, uh, how about your least favorite? You could, could you pick out one or two? Yep, I can. Oh. Um, oh, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's supposedly i think from what i understand it's actually about mick fleetwood and it's okay. christine mcvee saying you are the rock you are the guy whatever i just it sounds so weird i i just, yeah oh daddy you know you make me cry how can you love me i don't understand why Something about the melody plus the lyrics and just the repeated, oh, daddy, you just, and there are a lot of really bad rhyming couplets in the song. I'll get that out of the way. That's, that's definitely my least favorite on the, on the album as well. It just never grabbed me. Yeah. It just kind of sounded weird. Oh, daddy, you know, you make me cry. How can you love me? I don't understand why. Oh, daddy, you know, you make me cry. How can you love me? I don't understand why. <laughs> I just, yeah, sorry, Christine. I uh, doesn't do it for me. So, yeah, that that one's a weirdo, <laughs> a weird song. Yeah. Um, also, you make love and fun, and okay. this is a weird one for me too because I think melodically and instrumentally the song is fine and it's got some really nice parts. I really like the little outro guitar. Uh, that Lindsay does over the the thing. It's got kind of a nice little But I think that's cool. The song premise, it's like one of those weird 70s songs that is about sex, but not explicitly so or i mean i don't know maybe she's just talking about the relationship in general but it just sounds like one of those weird like 70s swinger songs like you have a you few don't those. you don't like songs about dogs that is what you're saying you're not <laughs> right exactly because her dog definitely made love and fun um yeah, it, yeah. it's just it's kind of it, it's it's forward but not because it's kind of opaque and i i just it gets kind of weird for me so yeah that's okay. that's my number two least favorite song but otherwise i think the album is really strong overall yeah, definitely a really strong one. Um, so I would say, yeah, Oh Daddy, like we talked about. And then sort of an honorable mention, least favorite. It's not really, I wouldn't even say it's a least favorite, but I would say Don't Stop. Don't stop. Just because I've heard it probably three million times. Ah, okay. It's, it's just, just too much. You heard it too Yeah, much. it's just too much when it comes on. So Don't stop. I get that. Yeah. I, so if I were to listen to the album through again, I would you know, skip that song or skip through a part of it. Cause I, you know, I've heard it over and over again. Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. So 
not really least favorite, but least favorite just because of the number of times I've heard it. I, I respect that. And I think, though, I will try to make you like this song. And I will do that by <laughs> sending you a clip of the song being done at uh, at the live recording that I mentioned, The Dance. What's cool is they actually have a marching band join them because they do wow. the song Tusk, which was originally recorded for the album Tusk with a marching band. They had the marching band stick around and uh, they do it, uh, the dance that way. And it's actually pretty cool, I think. And it works really well. And yeah, I don't know. So, but I get what you're saying. It's definitely one of the most overplayed songs on the album. Uh, so, yeah, I get that. Makes sense. Cool. Well, any uh, any closing thoughts or bits of trivia or things to check out? I have probably overshared with with lots of trivia, no, which I never. You know, yeah. This is uh, our podcast, man. You can share as much as you want. That is very true. It is very <laughs> true, and I'm I I really wanted to change up the genres. That was that was something that was important to me because we talked about kind of a couple things over yep. in the pop punk you know area, and I thought that it would be good to to kind of move to something like this. But one thing that I think is worth pointing out, I was just noticing. Um, as I look at the Wikipedia page and I look at the personnel, you got the band uh, listed as the, the people playing pretty much all the instruments. Actually, all the instruments were played by the band. Nobody who is not a band member was credited with playing an instrument. And then production, you have Ken Calais, Richard Dashett, uh, the band, and then an assistant engineer, a master, and a mas- another master. So you basically have one, two, three, four, five people listed as being involved in the production album. Now, comparing this to um, 1989, a great album. Uh, I not trying to be a spoiler here in case you're going to choose this by Taylor Swift, <laughs> but comparatively speaking, the number of people credited as writers and producers and recording engineers and stuff, it's it's just crazy. I mean, I'm counting 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, then multiply by 2 because it's two columns. So basically like 30 different people are credited as personnel. It's just mind-blowing to me that this few number of people – in 1977 created what is still regarded as a masterpiece of, of pop rock. I think that is, that is incredible. And I, I don't know. I, it's, it's hard for me to even wrap my head around that. And I think that nowadays being a music star like Taylor Swift, there's just too much at stake to risk making a bad album. So <laughs> you have to make yeah, it's sure gotta be, it's got to be more common to have. Yes. You know, dozens of people producing. I think it is. Really, a different producer each song. Almost, it seems. Yeah, like. you have different songwriters. You have Max Martin, as I mentioned earlier, who, if people haven't heard of him, has been responsible for more number one songs now than Lennon and McCartney. Um, yeah. And you definitely might not know his name, but you sure know his songs. He worked with Taylor Swift on this album. I don't think they'd ever worked together before, but he is definitely one of the most uh, well known in songwriting circles songwriters out there today. That just wasn't a thing back then. The expectation was. We're going to send Fleetwood Mac into the studio and they're going to write and record some songs and we'll release what they give us. And maybe we'll give some feedback as a label on it, right? And we might reject some things. But overall, it's their thing to make, which is kind of mind-blowing to think about, I guess. They probably didn't have the the budgets that they do today, right? Was that part of it? Or was it just, like you said, the pressure on nowadays you need to have every single song? sound awesome i i think it's more the pressure and the competition that has just changed where taylor swift can't afford to have a dud of an album and yeah. i think you know fleetwood mac if if this album would have bombed they would have just done another one in a year or two and they would have gone on the road and tried to sell that one because that was the other thing is touring was a means to sell records back in this era and it worked obviously because they sold 45 million of them nowadays yeah. an album like 1989 doesn't sell you know 
a tenth of that maybe um i don't know how many it sold but it's not that many and that's one of the most successful albums of the last few years so it's just a totally different era and i think both have positives and strengths and weaknesses and mm-hmm. i think there's something to be said for bringing these amazingly gifted songwriters and and making a great album but stuff tends to start sounding more the same right because you have the same voices it's not as it's not like you've got the beatles doing their thing and the rolling stones doing their thing and fleetwood mac doing their thing it's not like that anymore it's a lot more of the same voices so i don't know it's just just different yeah but both are good in their own way they are and i I hope that that comes out in this podcast i hope we get to kind of highlight uh things from these different eras and different genres and i've really enjoyed it so far so that's that's fleetwood max rumors sex drugs rock and roll um it's if you haven't listened to it all the way through i highly recommend it it's got some great songs on it and uh yeah i'm gonna make john like don't stop stop. all right man well i would recommend the album too i've uh like i said i've only been listening to it all the way through for a short time but I would definitely recommend it. It sounds like you would too. Like you said, I I definitely would, John. Thank you so much. Thank you. Talk to you soon.